0: Alright, well, this is our fifth lesson on this concept of living together as a church. And so far in the class, we've looked at several aspects of what it means to live together as a church. So, um, thinking back, just if you've, if you've been here for, for the duration, what is the kind of the distinct evidence that a group of people Make up a Christian church? What is it that distinguishes us or should distinguish us? Love. We'll talk about that today. That's true. It's not the answer I'm looking for. Unity. Unity. That's right. Unity is what should distinguish us as the body of Christ. So, you know, we talked in the first couple of weeks. Uh, here comes, here comes our. <laughs> Hold on one minute. Okay, so the world looks at us. Can you hear me now? <laughs> the world looks at us. Doesn't understand how we can be unified. It doesn't make sense to the world, and that glorifies God because then we're ready to give an answer prayerfully, uh, as to how it is that we can be unified, even when we're so diverse and we seemingly don't have anything else in common so we talked about that uh, we talked about the fact and and a cliff and and colby helped us see kind of this framework this foundation for unity so um, within the church uh, we're built up by sitting under the preached word and then we're we participate together in prayer and then god has kind of provided us an organization for our unity so we're we're built up in unity when we're led by elders and we're served by deacons and so all of this helps to contribute to our unity and this morning then we'll look at another aspect of that unity of being living at his church and that is the concept of Christian fellowship so we hear this word all the time right fellowship is something that we have a little bit of a grasp on but but let's think about that uh, the idea of fellowship for for a moment there's a lot of opportunities in the world for fellowship. So uh, think about you might attend a tailgate party before a football game and and have good food, good fellowship at at an event like that. You might join a particular club, a a gardening club if that's your interest, or a running club, some kind of uh, group that then fellowship can be built through that. Uh, You might attend a family reunion. Uh, You might attend a concert at Gully Park. I mean, there's a lot of things that people will gather around and uh, use as an opportunity to, to, to enjoy spending time with one another. So the question that we want to think about is all, all of those things can certainly be good, but is there something about our relationship within the church that should look different in our fellowship from these other types of fellowship that form in the world? So hold on to that question for a second. I'm going to ask it again and actually want to to get some responses. But thinking about the church, Acts 2.42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So the church was made distinct, or it was seen as distinct, because there was a devotion to those things. Uh, The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and to prayer so this is how the church is characterized and so what we want to think about then is what then does it look like to be devoted to fellowship in this way as one of those things that distinguishes the church it's a devotion to fellowship so this morning we'll look at that we'll consider that um, what that might look at look like so first of all we'll look at what characterizes healthy fellowship and then we'll build on that to consider and explore what characterizes loving fellowship. So those are really our two, two points this morning. So first, the character of healthy fellowship. So think again about the fellowship that occurs in the world um, and occurs naturally around friends, around family, around common interests. And here's the question again. What makes Christian fellowship distinct from every other community. Any thoughts on what might or should make us distinct from those other types of what we might call fellowship? Yeah, so what we, what we fellowship around should be distinct. We've talked about that. So if all we have in common is the gospel, that's unique. You know, that's distinct from the world. What else? I think that's good. Okay, serving one another, meeting needs. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. So Dave Dave says, uh, he refers to Christ and who said they will know who we are by our love for one another. They will know that. And and that's kind of where we want to steer this conversation, this idea of loving one another. So turn over to John chapter 13. We'll look at that very passage that Dave referenced. And really, as we think about that this morning, What should distinguish us from any other type of fellowship is love. That's a really simple answer, but it's a really profound answer as well. And and we want to listen and hear what Jesus says about that. So in John chapter 13, look at verse 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Christ making a very bold, strong statement here about us and for us, and that is that we should love one another. And it's interesting, he says here, he says, a new commandment um, I give to you. So a new commandment. And you think about that in other places, and it, uh, Jesus had been asked, well, what's the greatest commandment? And he, he says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your whole heart, uh, mind, soul, and strength. And he says the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So this idea of loving your neighbor is old. It's not a new commandment. It goes all the way back to Moses. So what is it, do you think, that makes this a new commandment? If, if they already had the commandment to love their neighbor, What makes this a new commandment? Okay, love your brother in Christ. Dave, (laughs) yes. Okay. Again, so there in 15, love one another. Cliff, yeah. So the, in the Torah, the command is to love others as you love yourself. The command here, is Jesus is say, you love others the way I love mm. so you. Yeah. Yeah. So really, there's two aspects that make this new it's, it's not just loving your neighbor. Of course, Jesus defined neighbor in the, in the parable of uh, the, the Good Samaritan. Uh, But this is a specific command to love one another. So the one another aspect is new. And then, as Cliff notes, it's not to love your neighbor as yourself, but it's to love one another as I have loved you. So there's something distinct about love, and there's also something distinct here about who it is we're to love. And the one another, then, is specifically those who God has brought together uh, it, and formed the body of Christ. So one another is your is your brothers and sisters in Christ. And throughout the New Testament, this command of the one another's is always distinctive, uh, re- referring to the church. So those who who God has brought together are the are who the one another is. And so that's what makes it new. And how we are to love makes it new as well. So. Uh, let's think about that. Let's let's think a little bit deeper about this. Jesus says that all people will know we are his disciples if this is how we love one another. So God has brought people together by the blood of Christ uh, and then we become the church and we're called to love one another and that should be obvious to the world. So if this is the command and this is what Jesus has called us to do, then obviously we need to be obedient to this command. We need to love one another. Uh, and if we're gonna do that, uh, how, sh- how can we do that? There, you know, We need to understand and know how we can do this. So let's think about this for a second. Uh, four things about this love that are distinct and will help us to know how we are to love one another. So first, we would be wise to, d- to understand what love is. Right, so we need to be able to define love in order to be able to practice love. So would anybody uh, like to offer up a definition of love? 1 Corinthians 13, the the love chapter, right? Uh, Perhaps you had that read at your wedding. Yeah, there's a lot about love in there. Absolutely, that's good. What else? Any other thoughts on... Maybe a a more concise definition of love. Okay, that's good. Costly giving of oneself for the well-being of another. Yeah, there's a lot in that. Any other thoughts? Certainly in Scripture, there are a lot of places we could go to think more deeply about love. So 1 Corinthians 13, a good spot. Um, John 3:16, a good spot. Uh, let's... Let's, look, let's turn over to Romans chapter 5. You know, when I'm trying to get, get a handle on love, this is a spot that, that helps me. So let's uh, start in verse 6. Romans 5, 6 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even particularly in verse 8 here, I think there's some things that can help us to get a better understanding on what true love is. So, Looking at that verse, Romans 5:8, is there anything particular in there that might help us understand love? Dying to self, Dying to self. yeah, so there's a sacrificial, a, a deeply costly sacrificial aspect of it. That's good. What else? Even when they have sinned against us, we still should love. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are good things. You know, really, there's kind of four things in here. If you want to, if you're a note taker, look at these four aspects of love that we can just see from this one verse. So it says... Uh, he says there but God shows his love for us so the first thing we see there is that love is shown love is demonstrable so love is not a feeling um, love is not a, a warm fuzzy emotion where we just kind of our palms get all sweaty love is demonstrated and we see here uh, that it's it's demonstrated in action Christ died for us God gave his son Uh, So there was a demonstration of love. So love is is demonstrated. And secondly, as Dave says, love was not based on merit. Um, When did Christ die for us? While we were still sinners. There was nothing deserving for the the recipients of love did not deserve that. So we should understand that as well. We don't just love people who are lovable. Um, As a matter of fact, Jesus kind of elaborates on that over in Matthew chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, but I'll I'll just read this real quick. Matthew 5, verse 43, he says this, For you have heard it that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? So, you know, Jesus makes very clear that love is not just for those who are lovable. Uh, It is even for your enemies, which is exactly who we were to God when Christ died for us. So, So love is shown, first of all, love is not based on merit. Third, love is sacrificial. You know, how did God love by giving up his son to death on the cross. There's incredible sacrifice in love. And then fourth, love is meeting a genuine need. Uh, so we needed Christ's atoning death. So this kind of helps us understand that love is not meeting, meeting felt needs, it's meeting genuine needs. You know, it, we, we sometimes tend to think that it's loving to do for somebody what they want us to do for them. But that's not always what's best for them, right? I mean, parents in the group understand that right. What your kids want for themselves is not only the bet, always the best thing. And so we love them not by giving them what they want, but giving them what they need. And so we see that here again. Love is um, a, a way to meet needs that are genuine needs, just as, as God met our genuine need for salvation and reconciliation to himself through the way that was, that, that was possible, which was very sacrificial. So, so kind of a, a one-sentence definition, love is shown by sacrificially meeting the genuine needs of undeserving sinners. So if we kind of use that for a working definition, when we're thinking about fellowship this morning, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about love, being something that's shown by sacrificially meeting the genuine needs of undeserving sinners. And Christ is our example for this, right? It goes back to um, what was noted before. He says that just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So when we think about how Christ loved us and sacrificed for us, uh, he gave everything. And that's the way he's calling us to love others as well. So, so, given that fact, uh, that what love is, then it kind of leads us to our second point, which is love is hard. Uh, this is not easy, you know, it's, it's not something that uh, motivational speech will spur us on to do. This, this is very difficult. Um, and it's hard to show sacrificial love by meeting those genuine needs, not only because the people whose needs we are meeting are sinners, but because we're sinners as well. So, we have a hard time loving because of our sinfulness. You know, my default when there's a need is to let somebody else do it. You know, that's so much easier. Uh, If somebody else will step up and, and meet a need, then I can avoid all of the hard things. You know, I can relax instead of serving somebody. I can avoid awkward conversations. I can avoid giving up my preferences. You know, if somebody else will do it, that's ideal. Not only that, then I don't have to deal with the messiness of relationships. I won't get my feelings hurt, I won't be disappointed, I won't be frustrated when my advice isn't taken. You know, the more I think about it, the more I kind of think about how uh, it, how we have to love one another, the more it just seems kind of unreasonable to ask me to do that. And maybe it's even impossible. I mean, how could I possibly love somebody in this sacrificial way that, that we see Christ doing it? But really, that kind of leads us to our third point, is that, is that we can do it by God's grace. I can't do it in and of myself, but because of the grace of God, I'm able to love others. You know, if you think about it, we're all capable of kind of stepping up to the plate and serving somebody in the short term. You know, if there's one need, I can step up and I can meet that need. Um, Somebody else can do that as well, and and then, you know, we've done something. But the real difficulty here is the continually loving, the endurance, the the doing it over and over and not burning out, not kind of uh, losing steam. Um, and so when we think about that, you know, if I step up, I love somebody, things are going well, but then what if at at some point then I'm rejected? What if I don't, my love isn't appreciated anymore? If I just don't seem to be doing any good, I keep going back and trying to help this person, but they're not making any progress. You know, our our uh, default, I think, generally is then to just give up, just to wash our hands, but. It's only by God's grace that we can endure in love, that we can continue to love somebody like that. Quick fixes generally don't work. You know That might solve an immediate issue, but we have to be in it for the long haul, and that requires God's grace. So the question then is, how does God's grace spur us on to enduring love? And the answer really is that our love flows out of the fact that we are loved by him. Uh, You know, we know that from 1 John that um, he loved us first, therefore we're able to love others. So how does that work? You know, just the idea and the knowledge and the understanding that we've been loved first by God, therefore we should love others. How does God's grace empower us to love? Any thoughts on that? We didn't deserve it. So that helps us to understand that. I think so. What else? Yeah, it's not only God's, the knowledge of God's grace that empowers us, but it's God's spirit within us that uh, provides that power to love as well. Yeah, I think that's right as well. Any other thoughts on how it is that God's grace can empower us to love? Yeah, he enables us to want to love others, to genuinely um, love them so that we want to do that. Yeah, Cliff. Yeah, that's good. We, when we understand how rich we are in God's love, then how we give and the and the sacrifice we make, we recognize that we have far much much more than what we are actually giving. You know, one passage that also helps us. Um, in Luke chapter 7, let me read, verse, starting in verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her ha- the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. You see what Jesus is saying there. If we understand how greatly we have been forgiven and how greatly he loves us, then our love will flow out of that. And that's by God's grace alone. So um, the final point then uh, about love is that it brings great joy. So I think Cliff was touching on this here. It's hard to love one another, but it's supremely worth it. You know, we find that it is great joy in doing so. Loving others doesn't just do them good, but it brings us great satisfaction. And that's what we are created for. We are created to enjoy God, to uh, live in his commandments, And there's nothing more satisfying than doing that if we are followers of Christ. So that's kind of love, and that should distinguish our fellowship. So any questions about that so far before we move into our second point? All right. Well, the the second point we want to make then is if healthy fellowship is characterized by love, then let's think practically about what a loving fellowship should look like. So the character of loving fellowship. Uh, so if our fellowship is to be marked by a love that, as we said before, is shown by sacrificially meeting the genuine needs of undeserving sinners, what should that look like? So let's consider six aspects. Not, again, not exhaustive, never is but six things that we can and and perhaps should do to be able to reflect a loving fellowship. So first thing here is that love seeks understanding. Love seeks understanding. So what do I mean by this? You know, we spent a good portion of the first couple sessions in this class talking about our unity and diversity. So we're a, a church, we're made up of a lot of different people Uh, in a lot of different walks of life, a lot of different circumstances from a lot of different backgrounds and we're called to be unified, we're called to love one another Um, and that's good, uh, but when we think about that, there's a challenge to that, right? It's it's much easier, as we said, to, to gravitate to those people who we have a lot of things in common with in addition to the gospel, that comes naturally, that comes natural for the world, the world gets that But there's a challenge sometimes to kind of break down those barriers and begin to foster relationships with those who are different from us. And so in pursuing those type of relationships, which we want to do, we need to be considerate of the differences between one another. So at the same time, we need to extend a lot of grace to one another. So, um, you know, think about um, what makes pursuing these type of relationships difficult Uh, and even I'll throw that out there you know if you think about uh, if I'm called to to love and be in fellowship with those who are different from me what makes that hard anything Okay, so there can be a level of uncomfort, yeah, awkwardness maybe. Yeah, it's, we just—it's a lot easier just to not do it. Yeah, yep. Other other things that make it hard. Yeah, if, particularly if we have different opinions on certain topics that come up. Yeah, that can be difficult. Yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons. You know, maybe it's just the fear of saying something dumb. You know, I don't know how exactly to to relate to this person, or maybe it's the fear of not having anything to say at all. You know, what would we talk about? You know, um, so there's there's uh, things that make it difficult. It uh, just seems like a lot of effort, you know, just like Treva said. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to really put some effort into this where it would be a lot easier just to, you know, continue to have an uh, ongoing relationship with the people I've always known. So uh, when we think about that, you know, one thing we need to do is s- uh, have understanding. You know, this is not only difficult for me, it's difficult for the other person as well. And maybe they're going to say something dumb. So I need to extend grace, you know. I I don't I don't want to be offended if somebody comes to me and you know makes a dumb comment about my new glasses or something like that, you know. <laughs> so you know it, we we need to extend grace. And, and I was as I was thinking about that this week, there was a great example that I became aware of. You know, um, a lot of you know Nancy Hannon, She's in hospice right now, and. Nancy asked if somebody could come Sunday morning and help her with the Zoom, so she could watch the service this morning, and someone to sing hymns with her this morning, someone to talk about the sermon with her, and so um, Madeline Corbell. Maybe you don't know Madeline; she's a new member. She's in her twenties. She's just—we just voted her in in April. She volunteered to go and and spend the time with with Nancy this morning, and you know. Maybe they know each other. I don't know. Maybe they did know each other. But in the time Madeline's been a a member, Nancy's probably only been able to even be here a handful of times. So, you know, what would it be like if Madeline said, well, I don't know, Nancy. You know, somebody else can do that. I don't know how to act around somebody who's in a hospice bed. You know, so there's an understanding that love seeks to overcome. And so there's a beautiful picture in that of how we love one another in the church. And that really kind of leads us to the next point, which is love does require sacrificial service. Um, And based on what we talked about already, perhaps this is kind of obvious. But what does that mean to sacrificially serve for one another? Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So We need to be able and ready and willing to bear one another's burdens. And that's both physical and spiritual burdens. Um, And that simply means to come alongside somebody in a time of trial and to be there, to pray with them, to seek what needs might need to be met, to see what we can do. Um, And it may mean a, a, a number of ways. There may be a way that there are needs that have been made known And we can step up and meet those needs. So, maybe even something like serving in childcare. You know, that's a well known need that's been put out there to the body. So, we can come alongside and serve the body by meeting that need. Um, But at the same time, it may just mean being in relationships with people so that you know when those needs come up. You know, one thing that uh, can be the case is like, we don't know. Uh, that somebody has a need, and how can we meet it if we don't know? But if we're building relationships with one another where we know those needs, then we're able to meet those things. So um, laboring alongside people in close relationship, in prayer, and in service. Third thing is uh, love, genuine love, leads to holiness. So this really begins to engage in this idea that Love is meeting genuine needs, not felt needs. So, what do you do when you see a brother or sister falling into a pattern of sin? Do you say something to that person? Do you not say something and pray that somebody else will? You know, love also requires po- us pointing one another towards holiness. And if we truly one, do love one another, we will speak up. And we'll do so kind of in the spirit of Colossians 3.16. Uh, and that says this. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. So it says we need to teach and admonish one another you know and so this is part of what we need to do in fellowship drawing one another towards holiness and so um, as we think about those things we also then need to be willing to be transparent with one another you know, there's no benefit from maintaining a facade you know when when we're if, if we're in genuine fellowship our position won't be to hide all of the problems and all of the issues in my life so that I look good uh, my, my Position will be that I would be want, I would want the brothers and sisters in Christ to know what's going on in my life, knowing even the sin patterns that I may be struggling with, so that they can pray for me, so that they can help me to avoid the things that cause temptation, so that I know that I'm accountable to others. All of this builds up the body. Uh, you know, there's no long-term benefit to hiding my sin. It will fi- find you out ultimately. Wouldn't it be better? if there were people walking alongside you and and building you up and helping you to avoid those things so love leads to holiness um, and this is not yes Catherine that's true as well when we love others we're sanctified we're we're more like Christ so that's that's true as well that's and that's important as well yeah good point point. Um, and you know this is not just crisis management you know, we don't jump into somebody's life when they're they're falling about to fall off the cliff. I mean, if we will be in fellowship continually, as we talked about before, for the long haul, then we'll be able to spot those things, and we'll be able to help before, uh, Lord willing, it becomes a crisis. Fourth thing here, love extends mercy and forgiveness. So we are to call one another to holiness. Um, we're also... Uh, in, we're, we want to be willing to tell the truth, but we also need to forgive. We need to be willing to forgive and reconcile broken relationships. The Lord's forgiveness of you should be the basis of your willingness to forgive a brother and sis- or sister in Christ who has wronged you, who has genuinely wronged you. Uh, you know, what's your instinct when somebody uh, sins against you? is it to withdraw, to step back from that relationship? Is it to hold a grudge? Um, is it to seek revenge? You know, is it even to leave the church? You know, all of these things are responses that the world gets. World says, "Yeah, that's what I would have done. You know, if somebody had wronged me like that, I would have done those things. I would have I would have cut them off. I would have sought revenge. I would have just left the church. You know, what is what is the picture, on the other hand, when we forgive? Uh, and then the world says, boy, that's that's unique. I've never seen anything like that. And again, it's based on the truth that Christ has forgiven us much. You know, Christ has forgiven, he's not only forgiven your sins, he's also forgiven the sins of that person who just sinned against you. So, you know, I don't think we're so holy and righteous that we're unable to forgive when Christ does that very thing. Well, next, the fifth thing, love brings comfort in suffering. Um, We are here to comfort one another. Again, a, a good place we see that is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me read that real quick. Second Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So God has made us instruments of that comfort. He will comfort us when we are in suffering. He will comfort our brothers and sisters when they're suffering. He has made us instruments of that comfort, that we can come alongside and comfort one another. You know, Romans 12:15 says, calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So when our brother or sister is going through something that's a crisis, and they're weeping. We should be right there weeping with them. I think of Job's friends. You know, they started off real well um, when they saw the pain and suffering that Job was going through. They went, they mourned, they wailed, and they just sat with him for seven days and didn't say anything. You know, what a great picture of of what it means to comfort somebody. Unfortunately, then they began to speak, but before that, uh, you know, it went really well. <laughs> Maybe maybe we should say less and just um, be with one another more. I don't know. Well, one last point here this morning. Um, in, in the fellowship, genuine loving fellowship considers the whole body, not just individuals within the body. And what do you, what do you think I might mean by that? Any thoughts? of challenging to think about, isn't it? A okay, a commitment to faithfulness. What do you mean by that, Treva? I mean by participating. Okay. By being present, by encouraging. Yeah. The things that are the doing. Yeah. Have you ever considered that your mere presence on Sunday morning is an encouragement to others? You know, a lot of times we just think about church being something that feeds us and builds. it just builds me up. So if I go to church, I'm built up. If I don't, then I miss out. And that's certainly true, but have you ever considered that the rest of the body is encouraged and built up by you being there? So your being there not only is enabling yourself to be built up, but it actually builds up others. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah, that that unity of all the parts working together um, underneath the head who is Christ. Yeah, and that's a that's how we can kind of begin to think of it from that perspective of, of it's the whole body, it's not just me. You know, have you ever thought um, about, what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, that Christ died for the church. You know, Christ didn't die for a bunch of individuals. He died for the church. And so we need to sometimes have a more corporate mindset than church is just about me. So, um, a few things here. Um, it's, it's not necessary to know everybody. And in fact, in a church our size, it's probably not possible to really know everybody deeply. But we're still to fellowship with everybody. And so um, we need to think about how we can do that. How can I be able, how am I able to fellowship uh, considering the whole body, not just that subset of the body that may be the people that I know? So a few few ways to do this here, six ways actually. Um, First of all, we should intentionally seek to know those outside of our circle. Uh, So we've talked about this already, but there there should be an intentionality of stepping outside our comfort zone that we might know others and know other people who are different yet have the, the, um, the same thing in common, which is the gospel. Secondly, and we've talked about this before, Pray through the directory. So it's a myth that you can only pray for somebody if you know them and you know what they're going through. You know, Scripture has many examples of prayers where Paul is, for example, is genuinely praying for people, some of whom he's never even met, um, and yet he's praying uh, for them in that way. So, So we should pray. We should intentionally pray for everybody. Um, and not just those people that we happen to know and happen to know what their needs are. Third thing here is build discipling relationships that reproduce. So we want to be meeting together for discipleship, studying God's Word, praying together. But part of the the goal of that is not just personally to be built up, but to be be pouring into a relationship where you know that that other person then is going to go and build and pour into others, and they'll pour into others so that the intentionality of these types of relationships, this fellowship that is building up the body is important. fourth thing there is something as simple as serving in childcare, you know, how you build up the body as a whole by meeting a need like that, not only for those parents, which you may or may not know, but also for the church as a whole um, that, that just enables those parents to be part of the service and to participate fifth thing is giving faithfully so when we are obedient and we give to the body of christ uh, are the resources that god has given us enable the whole body to be built up and then finally one last thing to consider is to attend members meetings or church conferences which is kind of what we formally call that you know, you think, oh, I don't really want to go to the business meeting, it's all about budget and things that I don't really have anything to do with, I'll just skip that. But actually, what goes on in those meetings is we are bringing in new members, we are collectively voting and bringing in new members and, and giving them the seal of approval from the church. We're voting members out um, that for whatever reason. We find out what's going on in the life of the church that we're a- and we're able to participate. And even with the budget, you know, something as mundane as that. Um, when we participate, it's for the fellowship and the building up of, of the body of Christ because those dollars have ministry implications. And so all of these things become more important as we understand what it means to fellowship in love. So I'm going to stop right there. Uh, that's plenty to, to chew on. Any questions on, on any of that? All right. Well, one thing we want to do is earnestly pray for and seek the kind of loving fellowship that we've talked about this morning. That, and we want to do that so that, again, God's glory can be put on display and that we can be built up as the body of God christ as we live together as the church so all right well let me pray for us lord we do pray that you would give us clarity on what fellowship means what love means and how we are called to do just that to love one another to fellowship in a way that is distinct and christian i pray that you'd give us a greater and an increasing love for the whole body not just for those we know And I pray, Lord, that this body would be distinct in the world and be seen by those who are watching both on the earth and in the heavenly places as disciples of Christ who love one another. We ask it all in your name. Amen.